Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the astounding Amato Rosa, the greatest Greg Gordon, and the judicious Jim Anderson. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chuck and Dee, and today we're going to talk about GMing failure. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get to know a gnome question. What's one time that your players did something you completely did not expect, and how did you handle it? Chuck, I'm going to throw it to you first. Yeah, absolutely. This was actually last night is the first one that springs to mind. I finally managed to uh, <laughs> con a couple of my neighbors into playing D&D, uh, which is going really, really well, and it's actually people we can safely socialize with. Uh, since it's a very small group of people. Anyway, unnecessary backstory. So they faced their first dragon last night, and one of them had the equivalent of a single-use uh, immovable rod type thing, uh-huh. uh, and basically leapt into the dragon's mouth and activated it. And I just, there's not really, you know, rules as written for that kind of thing. <laughs> so, but it was just so awesome that I couldn't not do it. And I, I ended up adjudicating it with something sort of on the fly, but it, it was... It was so great, and it was so unexpected. Uh, it was so much fun. Uh, what about you, Dee? So, like, one of my best recent examples, uh, we are running this game. Uh, it was like a modern, well, like a modern superpower kind of thing. My group had to go into a police station, and they were trying to get information on where a certain guitar that could replicate powers was located. That's all they had to do. Mm-hmm. go in, find the computer connected to the network, likely the police chief because they have like higher clearance and just get this information and leave. One of my players has this tiny little robot thing that can like do that kind of stuff. And they had to get the police chief that was currently inside of their office out of there. So they short circuited the power grid. And <laughs> I was just like, okay, I know... I do not know how I'm going to handle this, but I know how I'm now going to handle this. Immediately, I, I was thinking that because there were like a lot of sci-fi and a lot of tech in this like fantasy kind of thing as well, mm-hmm. that a lot of the police, like um, the holding cells for these uh, criminals were also electronic based. So those failed. Uh, suddenly a prison break is happening, and suddenly there's earth elemental golems uh, crashing through the walls trying to escape uh, because, I don't know, their user wanted to get out. And so the uh, so then out of nowhere, I had to come up with um, this golem that spun like a top and or Beyblade uh, attacking the players in the middle of this police station, and everyone was freaking out. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's awesome. And so years ago, when I was first getting into GMing, my very first campaign, I was running a Mutants and Masterminds superhero campaign. I had set up this this world in which all the characters had just been normal people. They were kidnapped. And when they woke up, they were in this weird science fictiony lab and slowly started realizing they had powers. And in the background is this Wah, 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 you know, like alarm system going mm-hmm. off. They very quickly realize they're in an underwater lab. They discover that they were, you know, phase six of some sort of experimentation of them trying to create superheroes. And they're slowly developing their powers and they're like making their way through the lab. And I had set this up 
so that they would get to the uh the 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 hangar bay where the last sub was and they would come face to face with phase four who were not as adept and were all kind of a little transformed and not passable for human society anymore who were also there to get the last sub out and there would be this dramatic superhero fight Mm -hmm. well you know my players are my players and they are smarter than i am sometimes and one of them realized hey, they're not actually our enemies. You know, and this is in the midst of the fight. People are throwing superhero fight punches all over the place. And he realizes they're not actually our enemies. If I can get back to my real life, I'm rich. Rich is a superpower. So basically he did a thing to get everybody's attention, stopped the fight for half a moment, and he basically offered the other group jobs. Hmm. He Yo. offered them gainful employment if they could work together to get out of there together. Fun cooperation. I love it. That was yeah, great. and it was like I just I brand new GM. I'm like I don't know what to do with this, but this completely makes sense. So I guess I'm gonna roll with it. And you know, and he actually got control of his real identity a lot quicker than I expected them to. But everything he did made sense. So phase four ended up becoming employees of his uh, security firm. Awesome. Perfect. So moving into our main topic, pretty much most of role-playing games we all play have some sort of random element in them involved, which generally means the players are going to win some and they're going to lose some. But one of the key components of GMing is how you handle the times when the dice turn against the players and they have to deal with failure and how you deal with failure. We thought it would be a good idea to get a few of us gnomes together and talk about how you deal with this. What do you do? What are some of the tips and tricks of how to actually make failure interesting? When it comes down to it, one of the, the most disappointing things most of us have ever dealt with in a role-playing game is, oh, you fail. Okay, nothing happens now. Mm-hmm. So Chuck, you suggested this topic. So I'm going to I'm going to throw this to you and let's see uh what what your thoughts are. What did you want to bring to the table on this one? Sure. Well, mostly what I wanted to bring to the table is listening to other people who are really smart about games and what they want to do with it. Uh... Um so the the primary question and I've asked this on another podcast and I don't think there's ever really an easy answer or an answer that I've gotten is, you know, first, how much are we as GMs obligated to set the stage for success for our players. If they do something just really stupid with absolutely no chance of success, what is our level of obligation to make it possible for them to succeed in that? And I I don't think we're gonna answer that here, but that's one of the questions that informs everything that I do. My my initial thought is that there are two kinds of failures that we kind of need to concern ourselves with. The first is, not inconsequential failure, but failure that accumulates over time, spiraling failure, mm-hmm. the loss of hit points, failing to, to make a hit, failing to convince someone of something that you need to convince them of, things that are not immediately themselves showstoppers. And those, I think, most game systems do a really good job of handling on their own. The bigger problem is pure showstoppers. And what do we do about that? And I think that there are similarly two approaches we can take to that. The first is a kind of clock-like approach, which is to say uh, a single failure or a single success isn't going to take you where you need to go. But that doesn't really get to, if, if you continue to do that, you still have only two options. 
either success or failure. You can create only the possibility of success with the illusion of the potential for failure, but that's unsatisfying for everybody. Mm -hmm. The other option is what do you do with actual failure? And I've had a couple of sessions with that, not a lot. Uh, I do have a reputation as being a little bit soft-hearted on players. Oh no, worst reputation ever. Um, <laughs> but when that kind of failure happens, the, the key thing that I try to bring out of it is I part the curtain. I say, this is what happened as a result of your failure. It wasn't a complete failure. You guys succeeded in this way or that way, and this is how you ameliorated the impact of that. Or I try to. I don't always succeed. So, I, I mean, that, that's one thing, but I don't think that's a completely satisfactory answer. So I'm really eager to hear what you both have to say and sort of how you handle it at your tables. Well, you know, the, the, to a certain degree, usually when I think about this type of topic, it's more the failure that stops the plot. Mm -hmm. Those are the those you absolutely have to avoid. If your plot is on the other side of the door mm -hmm. and the player fails a roll to pick the lock, you you cannot have the failure state of that action be that they don't get the door open mm -hmm. unless you know that there is another way to access the plot. Mm -hmm. So the failure state should be they get the door open, but mm -hmm. they lose a resource in doing mm -hmm. it. Your lock picks break. Or you didn't realize there was a guard actually standing on the other side of that door. Now you have complications. You didn't realize there was an alarm system that was going to go off. Anything that keeps things moving forwards, but still represents that the players didn't get exactly what they were hoping for. So essentially flipping the switch from being that consequential show-stopping failure to being that more accumulative loss of a resource right. or the situation becomes more difficult sort of thing. Yes. Yep. I like it. What about you, D? Okay. Um, that's complicated. I don't... <laughs> mostly because I have this bad tendency or a good tendency, it depends on who's talking to me, of following consequences to their... Um, limit so i'm very quick to go on like the worst possible outcome if like a failure is bad enough i kind of really like this mental concept of range bands whenever you like roll dice uh quest does this really well i'm gonna be talking a lot about quest during this uh podcast because it does it really well i does anyone know mm -hmm. how the dice system works in it i do not I i've been meaning to check it out yeah, give yeah. us a short rundown so it has range bands. It assumes that you're competent enough to mostly like su succeed or fail. So, um, and all that really matters when you roll the dice is do the fates let you do this? 20 crit, one catastrophe, really bad. But 11 to 19 is a, is a success. Nothing really changes. You succeed. But 6 to 10 is something called a tough choice, meaning you succeed, but two things might happen as like a result of it. And 2 to 5 is like a failure. Okay, that's fair. Last night, as a really good example, because I was running a quest game, there was this one character, Elegy, who is this kind of, like, doctory, dueling person. Like, they had, like, tentacle hair, and, and it was cool. <laughs> and they were dealing with this, like, bandit king. The bandit king had put up a shield around himself that absorbs any damage less than three, and as a regular doctor, she can't really deal with that. Because she's all about, like, dealing one damage, one damage, one damage, one damage. And so she used this ability called Nox, which made it almost impossible 
for him to hurt her because she gave him hallucinations, uh, disorientation, and a lack of focus. It's actually really interesting. Really, it's my favorite mm-hmm. ability. So when they rolled six to ten in order to say come up with a in order to like stop this guy and like uh, agree to some kind of armistice some truce i ended up leading them with a choice this isn't a show-stopping failure but this is just how you like handle failure that doesn't necessarily succeed but also could so i was like all right you succeed but here's two choices one you take this guy in as a rival or two you take this guy in as a suitor Hmm. so she chose suitor I had then realized her backstory had involved all of her partners mysteriously dying for some reason. I had completely <laughs> forgotten that. But this guy, he's okay. He's like, he's, he's a big butt, uh, buff guy. And, he, and he's like, well, that's uh, all the more challenge for me to stay with you then. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's kind of cute. And so he's like, you are, you are a worthy opponent. And one day I will come back when I've conquered these lands and ask for your hand. And I'm like, that's yeah, okay, yeah, let's go with this. That's awesome. One thing I, I think is important, you know, to that a lot more games are suggesting and doing is is having, you know, the, the failure of the role or the action or whatever, whatever me- random me- mechanic you have, it should not be a binary state. Mm-hmm. It should not be a binary, you know, success, failure. You know, it's like my first game that I... I played and ran that explicitly stated this out was actually the Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space game. It was the first one that I dealt with that explicitly said, you know, if they get this far above the target number, it's yes and yes, you get what you're going for and this extra bonus stuff happens. Mm. Um, all the way down to, you know, no and if they fail so if the abject failure is so bad it's no you don't get what you wanted and you made things even worse you know all the way in between with the yes but it's not as clean as a success as you wanted you know the yes you get the door open but you realize that uh you have guards coming down the hallway you're trying to enter you know something that just makes it more complicated and i think a lot more games are being a bit more, you know, openly... I mean, like, it, it's a technique you can apply to any game. I do this with D&D, which does not state, as far as I'm aware, 5th uh, mm-hmm. edition does not say anywhere to do this, but nope. this is something I do. If somebody gets that spectacular role, give them, give them extra. Yeah. Give them bonuses. They use the term, I believe, conflict resolution mechanic or CRM whenever you deal with, oh, this is how this situation is being played out. So do I roll the dice? Do I play cards? What am I doing? And yeah, conflict resolution mechanic. Gotcha. It's a really good term. And like these kind of bounding ranges of like success, failure, and like, you know, kind of failure and like super failure, I think are like interesting. Like from what I'm aware of, I can talk a little bit about quests and uh, again, mm-hmm. I talked to the developer and they had kind of mostly engineered the system just from listening to podcasts. They had they had like <laughs> no design background and they're like, okay, this seems like what everyone is kind of already doing for the games. Let me put that down pen to paper, and it was really good. And and 
I compare that to, say, Savage Worlds, which is my favorite system, which uses a uh, succeed and exploding dice mechanic that all do something called raises. So every four Mm -hmm. you get above the roll increases the scale and or rate of your success. So, okay, the check uh, to beat was eight. Okay, you got 12. You land the plane and it's smooth. You... You have to check. It's 16. You land the plane and it's with style. You get 20 somehow. You land the plane. Everyone cheers for you. You get an award. Mayor is your best buddy. I guess the question, though, is on that example of landing the plane, what do you do when they don't get a success? They get a four. They get like a three or something. They don't hit that threshold of bare minimum success. Do you just have them crash the plane and then have everyone take damage? that's on the plane or do you what do you how do you handle that my answer is crash the plane everyone takes damage and i roll a number for how many passengers died <laughs> oh that's brutal is that brutal yeah. is that brutal oh. oh my god i mean so all my players care way more about npcs yes like, I, I play mostly DD because everybody plays D. i mean I, I like it it's not my favorite but i i play it because that's what we play but i so many times we get to the point where it's almost like, look, you're going to have to fight somebody eventually. We can't yeah. all be friends. <laughs> so, yeah, no, my players would. Oh, they would be devastated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's the, I've, uh, <laughs> slight tangent, I've been playing uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, and mm-hmm. I just keep getting so angry when I can't save everyone. Yep. It's like, I've been replaying this one fight over and over and over again, because the guy you're supposed to be rescuing won't stay out of the fight and invariably gets himself killed. And I'm just like, yeah, but I want to save him. I want to save the NPC. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to GMing. If there's two things I think I'm really good at when it comes to GMing uh, consequences, I'm really good at one, having piece, uh, NPCs that players get really attached to. Like in every mm-hmm. game I run, <laughs> there's like, there's consistently like, I, I like going for the wacky weird characters and people like mm-hmm. endear to that quickly. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Making the players feel things, specifically sometimes bad. And that's fine <laughs> because it's like it it sometimes helps drive player growth or drives player like urge or experience because yeah, no, another example from that kind of like super powery game I was talking about. It's something called Epitha RPG uh Epitha Erase, Epitha RPG, whatever. Um point mm-hmm. is the players are losing this major like this mid my this mid boss fight, the guy had completely combusted into like some kind of inferno flame golem that's engulfing the room, and one NPC at uh, one NPC that they had with them that they started to care about, uh, Fina, she like works at the facility and she does a lot more secrets than she's laying them on. She gathers them up into the corner, hits a button on the side, and pushes them in there. And then shuts it because she has to activate from the outside. And this is for them just from consistently, like, they, they, can't, they haven't been rolling well. They can't beat this thing. And I'm like, how do I make this an important story-driven moment? Cool. Main guiding character, like, sacrifices themselves in order to, like, get them out there. I love it. I'm shamelessly stealing that. No, no, That's go for okay. it. Go for it. It's, no, it's literally in my podcast. L- literally watch, like... Two episodes and you got it. It's sad. It's sad. (laughs) You know, I'll bring this back to what you were originally saying, Chuck, and it's the, what responsibility do we as GMs have to provide the players with 
opportunities to succeed. And I think like one thing I tend to like, I personally as a player get very frustrated when I feel like when I feel like I have no chance of success. Those are games I tend mm-hmm. to not enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I get frustrated with game systems that basically compound cascading failure. Like the more you fail means the more you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And like the I find those frustrating because from a story perspective, what usually happens is in and I've I've struggled with this and played a little bit with game design of my own for the superhero concept of the hero is getting beat down, beat down, beat down, and at the last minute, they're able to pull themselves together, find that last reserve, and defeat the villain. A lot of the mechanics in the games we have that we play don't allow that to happen. Sometimes you can magically have it happen, you know, like, I've had it happen in D&D games where the paladin has three hit points left and manages to get off a crit as their next attack. But there's nothing in the, the like, that's pure, that's pure randomness. Mm-hmm. That is not anything, like, it makes for a great story, but it's nothing that the mechanics helped create. And mm-hmm. I go back and forth on this because, yeah, those make great gaming stories, and that would make a great story in and of itself. But it's an accident. It's not what the game mm-hmm. intended. And the way the the the, fa- the cascading failure creates a situation where, yeah, that character should have gone down on their next hit. Basically, what I'm saying is, is you have to find a nice balance, I think, for creating challenge, but not frustrating your players. I think, you know, keep 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 tabs on what level of frustration your players are experiencing with their game system. So I, I think, honestly, I think that would be another great topic for a podcast right there. Because what, you, what you're talking about is almost um, beat analysis mm-hmm. in literature. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book, I think it was Robin Laws wrote it. I and he just yeah. talks about it a lot. Hamlet's Hit Points. Yep. Yeah, Hamlet's Hit Points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that would be another great topic. But, you know, speaking of Robin Laws, you, you can't say his name without mentioning Kenneth Height who's very fond of saying that downward spirals are, are terrible to experience, but make great gameplay. I think so, too. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think that exists in opposition to what you were saying, Ange. I think that exists in complement to it. And I think maybe a, a whole other session on different game mechanics and how they affect the beats of a story mm-hmm. would be a really, really cool one. Yeah. I'm absolutely a big fan of the whole darkest hour moments before mm-hmm. like a big... Uh, turning point in a story so i and i don't feel you can have darkest hour moments unless one as a gm you either force it or two you roll with the player's constant failure and near critical story point Mm -hmm. and i think that's fine and i think that's good so one of the issues i've run into with this is i end up with players who as basically as you get that cascading failure are less willing to take chances in the game. Oh yeah. Because mm. they're because it's if 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 you look at the game as resource management rather than storytelling, players will sometimes turtle up 
mm-hmm. when they're in those cascading failures and therefore your story moments that could be spectacular get a little lost because the players are basically like, you know, you know, to to quote Hamilton, uh, retreat, retreat. You know, they're in that mode where they're just like, let's get out of here rather than, you know, this is our moment to step up and, and do one last heroic thing. What's wrong with retreating, though? Nothing is wrong with retreating, but it's the there's nothing wrong with retreating. But a lot of times I see my players doing this before it's necessary. Um, before it's, they, they basically, they, they are too, the players tend to be too cautious to make the story interesting. I, my personal, like, like, I don't have a per- quote unquote personal answer at this moment, but I have one I think I, I think I have right now. I don't know. Something I really like playing with, like Savage Rules is my favorite system. I, I say this a lot, constantly. I, I don't think I'll ever shut up about Savage Rules because of how much I love it. Uh, Savage Rules <laughs> is one of those games that I define to have, um, uh, to be very swingy, very, mm-hmm. you're on the top of the world, next one you could be absolute failing because it has a death spiral. Every time you take like a wound, you t- you actually take minus one to all your rolls. Minus one, minus two, minus three, uh, minus four if you have exhaustion. Point is, you start failing everything really quickly, and it's and it can be really frustrating to players. But for Savage World specifically, it uses exploding dice, and exploding dice are essentially every time you get like the max roll, you keep going. So no matter how bad it is for that, it always rewards you necessarily to try because you could get the exploding dice um, and and super succeed. But another way to like handle this is say fate points from fate, flashbacking from blades in the dark. Uh, these things mm-hmm. allow you to like retroactively have said re- prepared for a bad situation. It they're mm-hmm. kind of like get out of jail free cards in a way because. Like, if I'm in a really bad situation in Blades in the Dark, and we're up against this guard, and I say, I'm going to flashback to a time when I knew this was going to happen, so I so I befriended that guard's best friend to get him out of the situation now. It allows you to play Batman Gambits. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you bring up a mechanic that we should probably also reference in relation to failure, and that's the the plot point Benny mechanic, Mm -hmm. which you as the GM need to control the flow of those. So if you want your players to be taking those chances, you need to make sure that you're giving them to your players. Oh yeah. Cause I I've played, I, I love, I I actually agree with you, D I love Savage Worlds. I'm actually running an ETU campaign right now. Perfect. And as a GM, if you're not giving your players those Bennies, then when the, the the really tough scene comes up, if they don't have the bennies, they don't have the opportunity to take those chances. So you have to make sure you're also giving them, you know, keep the flow of that resource 100%. going to your players. Because I know, have never once felt like I've given out too many benefits or in-game currency pieces. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I 100% perfect. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor Who also has a plot point mechanic. And it actually, um, the way Doctor Who is set up is that the more powerful and experienced a character is, the fewer plot points they start the game with. So that way you can have the Ninth Doctor and Rose 
a mm-hmm. shop girl in an adventure together, and they both have an equal chance to affect the story mm-hmm. and the plot because the doctor has three plot points, Rose has 12. Um, yeah. But you also give them plot points for good role playing, good ideas, you know, that made me laugh and it didn't derail the game. So, you know, it's like, and to echo what Chuck says, there's never been a time where I have felt like I have given too many plot points to my players in those games, because if they're making the game enjoyable and fun, give them stuff. Like one thing I found is that they, they like certain games suit certain folks. I would actually like to say that, uh, like, well, people say that fate requires practically a group of writers or GMs because it, it kind of levels out the playing field. But I think Savage Worlds is similar in that I don't think you can necessarily have the best of Savage Worlds games unless you have a GM that's very generous. Because mm-hmm. in order to do all those things, that that uh, Benny Flow needs to go out like constantly because the players will spend bennies if they have an abundance and they know it's easy to get. They'll spend it on things that, you know, are kind of inconsequential, but could still be awesome. I had a player that spent three bennies just to uh, make sure he befriended this cat. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, okay. Here's a benny for successfully befriending that cat by spending three bennies. I have friends who run Mutants and Masterminds, which is a D20-based superheroes game that uses a uh, hero point mechanic. Uh, And you can spend hero points to do a lot of things. And one of the things these two GMs do is they, you know, basically when they want something to happen in the story, but they know that it's something the player would fight against, but they'll, they'll basically like, but this would be good for the story. It's like, here, I'm giving you a hero point if you let this happen. Uh, and this is how we end up with Wonder Woman, Superman, and the Flash transported to an alternate future while Batman, Martian Manhunter, and Green Lantern are stuck on our Earth dealing with two separate... So basically we end up with this multifaceted story, but rather than just having to GM fiat it, he rewards the players for saying, here, I want to make this happen. <laughs> I've... <laughs> I've done the same, but I straight up have, like, have offered players levels. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Here, guys, I'll let you all level up. Let me do this. And they're like, ugh, fine, I guess. Oh, wow. Now now I almost want to pull in, like, behavioral economics. Yes. And and tweaking your behaviors, your players' behaviors. Yeah. So I I would be remiss if I didn't point out exactly what we were describing right now. The Cypher system has systematized it to a T. And I absolutely love that and use it in every system now. As a bit of a self-plug, if you care about behavior mechanics and, like, changing players' behavior, um, I'm talking at Gen Con uh, online this year, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Ooh, well, it's yes. The, it's Can you the... send me the details on that? Sure, I will. I will. I will. Yeah, we'll put them in the show notes. I think this should Perfect. go up before Gen Con. Yeah. So it's the, I introduced my friend's oldest daughter to role-playing games, and it was a situation where the characters are all sent, you know, modern, it was a Doctor Who game. They were sent mm. out to investigate a, a, you know, supernatural paranormal phenomenon that was happening in this area. And she's like, I'm not getting out of the car. I'm I'm not going to, that sounds dangerous. I'm not going to do this. And it's like, you end up with players need to come, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit of journey because a lot of times you get players who enthusiastically are like, yes, I'll play this game. 
but then they play their character as what would make sense real life to protect myself instead of what would make for an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I finally had to tell her, I'm like, hey, kid, you can have your character stay in the car, but then you're going to miss the entire adventure. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to force you to have your character join with the others and have cool stuff happen to them. But if you don't get out of the car, cool stuff is not going to happen for you. And I mean, that's a bit of an extreme example, but I think it, it takes it. I mean, it, it's a discussion on player player skill as well. It's like when players can understand that just do the thing, just throw yourself in there because it's failure for a fake character. And yes, mm-hmm. it might be emotionally devastating, but it's going to make for such a mm-hmm. good story. Mm-hmm. Drive your character like a rented car. That yeah. is my that is my motto. <laughs> I've I've heard it. I've heard well, I've heard one shots drive it like you stole it. But we should probably start wrapping up cuz we've been talking for about a half an hour or so. So any last words on failure? Chuck, go. Uh, failure is good actually. <laughs> and D, go. Uh, I have a, I have a quote I really love. Um, it's from Community, like one of the early episodes, uh, about pottery. And it's, <laughs> it's one, it's one of these characters, Pierce, who's like this misogynistic, like, whole old man. Mm-hmm. But he had this one speech on failure that really transformed me. And it was, if I ever let being bad at something stop me, I wouldn't be here. That thing some men call failure, I call living. Ooh. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think I think we'll leave it there. I think we can we can that's leave a, it there. That's a good yeah. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the reload button. Just like in video games, you hit a point where things just aren't going your way. Well, hit the reload button. Start your game back over again from an earlier save. So what if your GM and the other players are rolling their eyes at having to do everything over and over again one more time? you'd get to try again and find the right combination of moves to defeat the big boss. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Pandas Talking Games. Phil and Sunday answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots and campaigns with some panda silliness. I think they've actually moved beyond just one-shots and campaigns. I think they've expanded, but they still usually tackle most topics from two different perspectives. Do they still have panda silliness? Oh my god, yes. Critical. All right. Yes, absolutely. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? D, go. Uh, Twitter, dice, uh, dice QGM, D-I-C-E-Q-G-M. And Chuck. Uh, innocuous Chuck at Twitter on those rare occasions that I am actually unprotected. And where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Though, to warn you, Twitter's pretty dead because it was mostly just my table selfies from cons, and Instagram is primarily pictures of my cats. You are welcome to come look at them, though. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. So, uh, do you guys think we avoided the stew this week? If we failed, at least we'll be delicious. Oh, I think, yeah.
Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. And I kind of lost myself on this 